this is a stumbling block for most people in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. It's like, okay, Bitcoin is a joke. Oh, maybe it's not a joke. It's actually a significant innovation. Well, if it's that significant, then the government's just not going to let it happen. And that seems to be a really major stumbling block for many people, right? They get stuck on that point. But this is sort of a testament to that. It's like, look, government did, has tried to stop Bitcoin. And what indeed happened? Well, it caused the mining to become more decentralized, right? More globally distributed as a result of one government trying to stamp down on it. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money Show is 100% sponsor-based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Alexander Neumiller, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Yes, thank you, Robert, for having me today. Very nice to have you. Um, just by way of quick introduction, you are a research associate at the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance. And today we're going to be talking about uh, a very interesting area that you do a lot of research in, which is Bitcoin and crypto mining, um, specifically focused on, I guess, the environmental impact of those activities. So let's start with just a bit about you. Alexander, who are you? What's your backstory um, and how did you get introduced to Bitcoin and this research field that you're now engaged in. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Um, again, it's a pleasure um, to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. And yeah, happy to give a bit of insights into yeah who I am, how I got here. Um, so basically, I had quite nearly about a decade in traditional finance. So everything from corporate banking, I was in trading, asset management, so this was basically, I have a very, I think, strong traditional finance background, but uh, very, and this is really nearly a decade ago now, so some time. And this was also uh, about a time when I at least came across Bitcoin. It was very, it was, I think it was 2013, 14, so it was very early um, when I discovered uh, this new technology. And it was it was quite interesting to me because from a I would say a bit of an ideological standpoint, at that time I was uh, yeah quite interested, particularly in the Austrian school of economics, and um, I was uh, very interested, particularly in gold, gold mining, and the idea of 
of, uh, I mean, at that point, Bitcoin was very different than what we see Bitcoin today. It was a very different environment, very different, I guess, um, uh, community as well. We saw now, I think this, the, the whole space has matured a lot since this time. But even at that point, just the idea of, of this, in a way, I guess, apolitical uh, financial tool may it be a, a store of value or payment system, but generally having this kind of apolitical element and a means of, in a way, transfer value uh, was simply quite interesting to me. And unfortunately, I did not invest, but um, I did I, I did basically just observe the, the whole ecosystem and um, it got me engaged in a way. So I saw it involve and it was super interesting. Um, I, at some point, I stopped in a way my career in TreadFi and decided to go studying again. And I spent multiple years at different universities, ended up at the end at Cambridge, where I did my last degree. And at that point, the kind of the question emerged, what I want to do after this. And uh, it, I mean, it was when I finished in Cambridge, it was 2021. So it was exactly at a time where I think the the whole like I mean not just the, the Bitcoin kind of ecosystem but the whole like crypto ecosystem I guess uh, had a very um, yeah it was a very interesting time in that regard so I was quite keen possibly to see uh, I still was more interested in trying to learn and and observe things so i did not necessarily want to go to the private sector i, I was quite keen to see how can i in a way um, improve my understanding um and and there was the center for alternative finance which already started very early looking into the space as well so i think uh the center started already in 2016 2017 with the first reports it was more benchmark studies about the whole kind of ecosystem it was uh, from a very holistic point of view. They did also, the center also did more, I would say, specific reports, for instance, on enterprise blockchains, on the regulatory landscape. But I think it was already in 2019, so uh, very early. They did then, um, on a continuous basis, this more like broader ecosystem benchmark studies. And at some points, the, I think, certain areas crystallized out themselves, particularly the environmental aspect as the, I guess, whole industry and ecosystem matured. The, I guess, public debate, particularly about negative externalities became more prominent. And with negative externalities, I mean, pretty much the, in, in a way, environmental externalities. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was quite interesting to me because I did have, uh, since I, I observed the field, I had also uh, some idea of, of mining itself. I had, I think, a very generally a good understanding of the, the whole industry. And I saw some synergies between my knowledge and what the center was, had, had as research topics, um, maybe going back a few years. So when launching this large report, so one of the key issues I think generally in the when when you did a report or a research paper in let's say 2018 2019 2020 is the environment was very fast-paced I mean before even more but still during that time it was very fast-paced so by the time you you issued a report and particularly when it came to quantifying things for instance uh, maybe market capitalizations or environmental impact or any other um, things that that can be quantified, most likely by the time you issued the report, it was already outdated. So what the sentiment tried to solve is that how how could we, in a way, create something like a digital tool that helps to provide current information to the public? Mm -hmm. So not that uh, you suddenly show a report that uses one-year-old data or like 10-months-year-old data, but actually, for instance, for electricity consumption, and this was how we started. And can you create a way to provide, as we do now, daily estimates for electricity consumption? Mm-hmm. And this is kind of how we how we started. And um, from there, the goal was always to go from electricity consumption to climate impact. Mm-hmm. At, at the beginning, it was a lot of discussions because the research paper were mostly focused on electricity consumption, but actually electricity consumption and, and climate impact are inextricably linked, but they're not the same. 
right. because there were a lot of other factors that that play a role here. And um, we then in 2020 started to collaborate with major mining pools that enabled us to, I think, get a very unique data set on the location of mining activities, which subsequently helped us to understand where mining is located. And, and then even more granular, for instance, we had a very granular data for China where we were able to track the movements within China, for instance, from Inner Mongolia to Sichuan and within pretty much all like relevant provinces, which is very important because particularly the energy sources differ drastically, um, not just within China, depending on the region, but also globally. And if you want to get an understanding of the climate impact or like greenhouse gas emissions, if we uh, naturally there are a lot of other aspects as well, but uh, then you need to understand really what are the energy sources that uh, are used to generate the electricity that ultimately the Bitcoin miners are using. Right. right. And that and and when we talk about emissions, it heavily differs if someone uses, for instance, um, excess supply of a hydropower plant, yeah. or uses you know, coal, coal uh, is connected or get, gets it predominantly from coal-fired power plants. Right. So that is a huge, huge difference. And uh, developing this understanding was fundamental for us then last year, in, I think it was September, we launched our Bitcoin greenhouse gas emissions estimate, which naturally, a disclaimer here. So what I think everything that we do, those are still, and not just we generally, it is a a decentralized network so no one knows exactly who is doing what so you always are reliant on assumptions on the i think theoretical models mm -hmm. there are i'm not going too deep into now into the different approaches that can be taken to do this sort of computations but ultimately those are all pretty much uh based on uh, all all models have their limitations right yeah. so do our models right so i would never say that um we we know it all yeah yeah robert i'm always reminded of uh I think this comes from Taleb, but he says, all models are wrong. Some are useful. Most are dangerous. So you, you have to always remember that we're, you're perceiving the world through a limited framework anytime you're using a model, but um, obviously they're necessary for simplifying the complexity that's out there. Uh, a couple of things you said I wanted to touch on. One was uh, the negative externalities of Bitcoin mining, which is something that is very heavily focused on in mainstream media. I think the traditional trope is, you know, Bitcoin mining will boil the oceans, something like that. That would be the the traditionally um, trumpeted negative externality. Uh, something that I don't think is true, but we can dive into a little bit more. And the other thing you hit on was, and this is very important too, that there's this conflation between energy consumption and climate impact as if to use more energy is to more harm the environment, which is simply not the case, right? If we understand that that's actually kind of the point of economics um, is to figure out how to harness and channel more energy so we can satisfy more human wants, solve more problems, and therefore advance civilization. Uh, climate Im or climate impact slash ecological impact is is separate from that, right? This is more about basically protecting the uh, ecology from being polluted, dumped on, you know, wasted away, et cetera. It's not the same thing as, as using energy. So one of the main things uh, you guys have produced in, in your research is, uh, correct me if I have this name wrong, the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. Can we talk a bit about that? Uh, what is this index? What is the methodology for calculating this index? Uh, and how has it changed over time? I think you said there have been some revisions to the actual methodology itself. Um, and what does it tell us about the use of energy and or the climate impact of Bitcoin mining? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to elaborate a bit on this. So the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index was, I think, one of the core products that came out of the center's ambition to look into the whole ecosystem. Because uh, I think as mentioned before, the kind of public debate, particularly 
surrounding the environmental impact of, of Bitcoin became more and more, I think, um, if I can call it heated, um, it became more and more a topic. And uh, what we wanted, what we tried to do is really find a way, how can we contribute to the discussion in an, in a really unbiased and neutral manner. And this is also on, on our website, uh, it has been evolved over time, but when I, I think the best thing would be if I start really a bit at, at the beginning of where we started and kind of how we, how we evolved to, to now. Um, so what, what we wanted to do is really trying to provide current estimates of uh, electricity consumption to the public so that um, we, uh, there is no reliance on, let's say, a year old research or, or reports where we, where we actually have um, frequently updated figures and everything or exact our methodology is stated on our website. So everyone knows exactly what goes in there, which data sources we use, how these data sources are being used. And ultimately it's actually fully replicable. So everyone knows exactly what's in there. There is no black box. You can like it or not, but ultimately everyone knows at least what, what is in there and, and how we and how we uh, calculate things. What I think um, happened is that generally our estimates have been very well received um, by, I would say, pretty much all stakeholders actually. So there is often, I think, that what we see currently, there are many different estimates out there, but um, I think we are one of those sources that, uh, that are trusted by a broad variety of stakeholders, right? From from those who might not so much fancy proof of work, but also from those, I think, um, who are ardent supporters of proof of work. And uh, I believe how we show this is uh, our original model, it was devised in 2019. So naturally the fast paced environment uh, led us, led to changes in and I would say really the, the, the landscape, particularly also when it came to, to hardware, because one of the key elements that we use in our models is, is actual uh, mining hardware and the performance data of that. And um, if we look, for instance, into how hash or hardware computing power that has been provided to the network has evolved, particularly in the years before our index was released and the years after, that was kind of critical to the decision, and, and this is what I published this year uh, in in August, I think, yeah, it was in August, where after after all those years and after some minor revisions, we did the first major revisions. So basically, uh, we had from uh, 2016, 17, 18, 19, we saw really at, uh, an increase in, in the computing power by, uh, yeah, 200%, 300%, 400%. So we really saw each and every year an enormous increase in, in hash rate. And our original model was, and without, in a nutshell, basically, that we have a, we have a hardware basket where we, where we gather data from uh, actual mining hardware. For instance, a Bitmain S5 and Miner S5 and Miner S7. We have Watts Miner M3 and all, all those different kind of hardware devices can now naturally as well. And um, we look into what is the hash rate of those devices or the performance of those devices and the, the power consumption of those devices. And what we then look into is um, we, we use a so-called basically technical economic model where some of, of our data is based on it's the actual hardware. But one of the, econom the economic assumptions here is that we assume miners are simply rational economic agents and they would only run equipment or operate equipment that can be operated profitably. So we then check, we have this basket and then we check, okay, what devices in those baskets can actually be operated profitably. And then we assumed an equally weighted mix of all those devices that we, that we assumed uh, are, that, that are profitable. Naturally, there's again, this kind of assumptions as we talked before, where we assume for instance, $5 cent uh, per kilowatt hour. And that's what we tried then on our website as well is we have parameterized this uh, feature actually on our website. So you could go to our website and try, for instance, out how would our models change if you assume 4% per kilowatt hour or six or seven. Um, we used a figure from, pre from prior research papers. Uh, we had communication with the industry. So those, the, the figure from 5,000 per kilowatt hour was chosen because of this. Um, but naturally, uh, there is, uh, 
the landscape is large. There is, I think, um, the distribution of different costs uh, is it's very different. If you, for instance, have mining in certain regions and mining other regions, you might see completely different electricity mm -hmm. rates. But ultimately, for, for models, at some point, we need to um, find something that works overall. But what we yeah, what we discovered was this um, kind of, uh, it worked pretty well because simply this equally weighted approach did work at that time because the kind of rapid progress of hardware rendered old equipment outdated pretty uh, quickly in a way. Uh, so you didn't have the issue that suddenly uh, you, you had um, an equally weighted contribution of some GPU next to next to ASICs, which naturally would have led to completely different electricity consumption estimates. Mm -hmm. So this this fast development led to that those devices that were like older were uh, not considered pretty pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And this is what changed then um, subsequently where we saw from uh, 2020, 2021, where suddenly the uh, kind of increases in, in computing power became a lot less pronounced than they were before. And what led, and this was when I, about the time when I joined um, the center, and um, this was one of the areas that I already, uh, we did, uh, we did before doing this major revision, we did a smaller revision where we say we have, uh, we prune everything that's older than five years, where we kind of as a first step. Um, but our idea already at that point was that at some point, hopefully as soon as possible, but we're still at our research agenda that we, our research roadmap basically that we needed to execute. Um, but after after this or during this, um, actually, we, we given that, uh, I would say, importance of the topic, we uh, we did it actually earlier as planned, um, to really do a thorough revision of the whole model and how, and if the, if the model really is a good reflection of the current status quo. Mm. So, um, and then um, given simply that, particularly in 2021, this led to this equally weighted approach led to, for instance, you had um, an, an N minor S9 contributing an equal amount of hash rate than an S17 or S19. And naturally, uh, this, this this led to a much, much larger, I guess. Uh, I mean, to some extent, it is, I think it is also fair to assume that those devices were still running. I think it's just the extent to which those devices were employed. I think that our previous approach um, were not perfectly reflected. And um, yeah, after I think a comprehensive assessment where I looked at a lot of industry data, import data on US mining equipment, where I really, I think, did a, a, a very um, comprehensive kind of investigation of how can we, of how the, the actual environment might look like, looking at balance sheets, for instance, of published mining companies, uh, published mining manufacturers, to be recorded, I mean, Canaan basically is the only one pretty much. Uh, but but still trying to get a grasp. Okay, what are what is what can what is most likely the actual hardware being used by miners? And um, after this, we launched in August this year. I think this comprehensive revision. And I believe that as we, as we see now, um, even so, mining is in the last weeks, in the last months, became, became a lot more profitable. I think we still have now uh, slightly below um, thirty one joules per terahash in terms of efficiency. So I think it generally shows that our current approach is, uh, I think this is also pretty much in line with what in this other industry estimates suggest. So I think our current approach shows that there is, um, there it, it, it captures much better what happens in the, in the real world than an hour old. And this is, I think, one of the key reasons also why our research generates appreciated across many stakeholders, because we really try to look into things from a very really a neutral perspective and always try to achieve the, the best estimates possible. But as I said before, um, it is always, and this is always important to remember, all all estimates in that regard are, are always estimates and ultimately, um, the yeah, it, it needs to be considered. Yeah, yeah, you have to make some approximations or generalizations, but as long as you parameterize that, as you said, you can sort of change them to see how the model reacts. So if I'm hearing you, then the the revisions to this to the methodology for calculating this index were primarily focused on the weightings of mining equipment, and that changed really how much hash rate is being produced per unit of energy consumed. Right? Obviously, better mining equipment over time 
produces more hashes per unit of energy. They become more efficient is another way to say that. Um, so I guess we see hash rate growing as a result of those revisions, you would see hash rate growing super linear to energy consumption, that it's actually, it's not a one-to-one -one change, right? That hash rate can increase much faster than energy consumption due to the, due to those efficiency gains. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers, 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash whatismoney. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technologies. iCoin has released a free software update for all existing wallet holders that includes a secure messaging feature called Chamber. With the Chamber upgrade, you can send text messages with all the security benefits of a cold device. With wallet-to-wallet -wallet encrypted messaging, there is zero chance of a message being decrypted by a snooping third party. Chamber's encrypted messages can only be created and read on an iCoin wallet, which means messages are never seen in plain text on a hot device. You can use any messaging platform to send chamber encrypted messages. Even if the messaging channel is compromised, your messages will remain uncrackable. You can now generate and store your message encryption keys on a cold device. This means you become the central authority and your encryption keys are never seen on a network connected device or kept in cloud storage by a third party. So why not protect your private communications like you protect your Bitcoin private keys? Pick up a few iCoin chambers today for friends, family, and coworkers. With the iCoin Chamber, your privacy is built right in. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. What then is the, I guess that's sort of the quantitative impact. If we start to try to interpret that in a qualitative way, what is the general impact of Bitcoin and or crypto mining on the climate or the environment. Um, again, this is that an area in mainstream media where I think most people that aren't familiar with the space just think it's a net negative, right? Bitcoin mining is wasteful. It's consuming energy for no reason. You know, the threat of boiling the oceans, et cetera. What, in your more uh, nuanced and rational view, what is the actual impact of Bitcoin slash crypto mining on the climate? That is a, a very good question. Um, yeah, I think to, uh, but first, maybe a few words to the, the wasteful. So ultimate, very personal opinion, right? So it's not, uh, it's really my personal opinion. Um, I, well, you know, it always depends on the eye of the beholder, I guess, what is wasteful and what is not wasteful. Mm -hmm. um, some people might consider certain things wasteful. Some might not consider them wasteful. It's, it's, I think, um, hard to generalize an industry. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's generalizing is, I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's very tough. For instance, when we look about environmental impact, there is, uh, if we, we just look into the display tobacco industry, it would, we'll, we also plan our website our comparisons. And for instance, currently, um, according to yeah our estimates, the tobacco industry is roughly equal to Bitcoin, um, but more to Bitcoin later, where you say, well, this is, that kind of greenhouse gas, so this is kind of the climate impact, right? And that, not the socioeconomic impact that we get, for instance, from the tobacco industry. And, and so I think it's really, a, a, also, we, uh, yeah, but but I think it is it is hard to generalize an industry as wasteful because some people might perceive it as, as useful. And I think there is, there is multiple, uh, that there is definitely evidence that it is, uh, at least for certain, um, possibly not so much in Western countries, but definitely for possibly 
there is social value in countries that might be not necessarily perfectly included in the financial system, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but again, personal opinion here. Um, and yeah, just, just, just to that. So I would not, I would not call it wasteful. <laughs> Um, but again, there might be other people who say it's wasteful, but, but, but well, um, to the, to the, uh, general climate impact. Yeah. I, I think first of all, we, in terms of electricity consumption, I think those estimates are most reliable because, uh, I think there is, there are not too many other factors that come into play here. We get on-chain data, for instance, on on hash rate, so we have at least some idea. I mean, it's in the based proverb is probabilistic, so you never know exactly how much reading power is spread to the network, but you, you can get some idea depending how fast blocks are being solved. And um, what becomes then a lot more, I guess, difficult is trying to translate this into emissions. Um, but because I think when we think about the overall climate impact, there might there might be other other areas as well, right? We have seen reports about uh, noise pollution and, and those sort of things. Um, uh, but but overall, I think the major the major gas climate impact comes from, which would be referred to as scope two, because generally Bitcoin mining itself does, if you, if you for instance, a company and mine Bitcoin and you don't have your power plant virtually integrated or the other way around where you have a power plant and virtually integrate mining, your mining capabilities, uh, then, then it, then it pretty much there is not much um, environmental impact, right? Because ultimately you consume electricity. Where it starts, then is kind of scope two, which is the basically the kind of indirect the emissions from from power generation. I think there was a paper about uh, water consumption as well, very recently, which is also basically where this consumption comes from, kind of the electricity generation, not from the kind of data centers themselves, and uh, and particularly also when we talk about emissions, we need to understand the electricity mix, which energy sources are being used for mining Bitcoin, which is very, uh, which currently also is a huge kind of task for us. And um, it is it is quite difficult because in this interesting nature of the network, you don't know exactly what everyone is doing. There is uh, there's anecdotal evidence and, and, and blah, blah, of different things, but getting really comprehensive data that would allow you and we orientate ourselves more towards the kind of guidelines of the greenhouse gas protocol, where you, for instance, have a location-based approach, where you, where you where you try trying to associate the uh, um, basically when you when you don't know exactly what someone is going to use, but you know that someone is located in a certain area, you try to understand the electricity mix of the certain area. This would come down to, in our case, most at country level where we look into, well, we have X amount of, of hash rate from country Y and that country, then we look into how electricity is being generated in that country. Mm -hmm. Or if we have more granular information, for instance, if we look within those country in the United States, for instance, how is, how is uh, mining distributed on a state level? And then we look into what is the uh, kind of electricity mix of, of Texas, of Washington, dairy states in that regard. So this is kind of how we look at things. But naturally, I think there is a, a long way to go for us also to better understand the possibly, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of, uh, for instance, there's off-grid mining and those sort of things, which currently we don't consider and we have highlighted in our methodology as well. So all these kind of limitations is is outlined. So we want to make sure also that people who use our estimates know exactly um, kind of the, the, uh, the scope, uh, generally how we look at things and what are current limitations that we are not capturing. So overall, I would say if we if we look into the climate impact, I think um, one one more point in that regard uh, is our mining map that kind of helps us in collaboration with major mining tools to understand where mining is located. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, um, we haven't had an update for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So this is also in our methodology. We we uh, describe our approach in a way in three steps where basically we have a step before we get those, before we get this data. We have a step that where we, where we got this geo, geolocational data and from the last point, so in our case, January 2022, from that point, this is our last data point, from that point, we assume that that kind of uh, constellation or that composition of the electricity mix is true going forward. And, and this is what we call not a predicted approach, but um, there is, I think, ample total evidence that the landscape as it is now is noticeably different than in our last 
data points. If this if this makes sense. So what what's currently we for instance in our last data point we we still had a fair, fair a strong share of China. We had Kazakhstan there with I think one of the top three countries. Um, we I don't have the data now, so I'm just like also speaking from anecdotal evidence and and my own observation. So this is not based on data. Just to disclaimer here. Uh, but what I would expect is to see uh, a noticeably changed landscape. The U.S. most likely is still, very likely, is still on the first place. Most like, most likely has even um, increased in the share uh, compared to our last estimate. But uh, yeah, so so I think um, this is always very important to understand when using our estimates and other estimates, particularly how again coming back to this, how these estimates are being calculated. And we hope that we can soon create, uh, provide a new update. Um, we just, we got a new mining pool partner. So Endpool joined us when now the, the second, first, I think they're currently um, switching positions with Foundry um, about who is the first, who is the second. But I think we uh, have now two very strong partners, uh, very strong collaborators in that regard. And we hope that we can provide more current information to all stakeholders which I think will help to provide generally a better understanding of, of the overall environmental impact. Second point, sorry, Robert, but please feel free to. Yeah, could you just comment perhaps um, on the, sh the China's share of global hash rate pre and post its ban on Bitcoin mining? Uh, this was a point that's used by many, I think, in the Bitcoin space to sort of argue against the narrative that government can just stop Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin whenever they like. Um, obviously, the CCP is one of the most iron-fisted and authoritarian regimes in human history, if not the most. And so the fact that they've banned, they've had this back and forth with Bitcoin mining regulation for a long time, but obviously most recently they banned Bitcoin mining. And yet, um, what I've heard is that, you know, at the time of the ban, it was roughly 50% of global hash rate was coming out of China. And then what are we about two years post ban? It's still around 25, 30% of global hash rate coming out of China. And so that's used as an argumentative point saying, look, if the CCP can't stop Bitcoin mining, then what government can? I just wondered if you could comment on those numbers, uh, if they've, they've come up in your, your research. Uh, yes, I can, I think, somewhat comment on those numbers. Yeah, I think uh, what we what we have seen is that there is definitely, so China, even before, was even uh, a, a much stronger player than 50%. So I think when we go back to end of 2019, 2020, we saw like particularly end of 19, 80%, more than 80%. So mining was strongly uh, based in China, but over time, it's gradually changed. So over time, the share of China gradually, not possibly not necessarily the mining itself in China, but basically the still the share would change if mining stays relatively constant, but you know, the overall hash rate increases. So uh so generally the share of China has gradually decreased. Mm. And I think this uh when China announced I mean they did many times they were quite uh, I think not particularly fond of, of mining uh for, for a long time. Um but yeah I think the major ban um happened then in June, uh, May, June or May 2021, where basically uh, we already before saw hash rate dropping to some extent. And um, so I think uh, there was already already some time before movement um, because generally, yeah, as, as you said, the, uh, the political landscape, I think, was not particularly pro-mining there. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, I think what we, what we saw then was that definitely this had an impact on the Bitcoin price, but also on the hash rate, right? This was, I think, very turbulent times. Um, and we could see that so after this ban, hash rate dropped significantly, but actually quite quickly caught up again. So we saw then, okay, we, we that there was a drop, there was definitely an impact. Uh, and but actually, I mean, if we I mean, not just now, but even I think a year afterwards, the recovery came actually quite fast. Yeah. So you, uh, there is. A lot of news reports, I think investigative journalism that uh, also told a bit that particularly there might have been some mining um, continuing in China even after the ban um, to a more or less extent. Uh, our last data point, because this is what, what you are referring, our last data point still shows about 20%. But again, this was January 2022. Mm -hmm. 
And even though the Bitcoin price also has dropped, the, the drop in hash rate led to the mining environment overall be still quite profitable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there are multiple, I don't want to go too deep, but there is a week because we don't have data in that regard right. uh, or have exactly idea who is mild. We don't have any context to illegal, mm -hmm. <laughs> illegal mining facilities in, in that regard that happened, uh, in that still continued mining in China. But yeah. you saw, yeah, it's huge disruptive environment. Uh, but now definitely, I, I cannot say definitely, but I would, I would expect if we launch a new update that the figure of China would be significantly lower, uh, yeah. very the, significantly lower. And just to like, I guess, put some narrative context around this, I think there's a good argument to be made here that this is a, a testament really to the anti-fragility of Bitcoin, right? It's this is a stumbling block for most people in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. It's like, okay, Bitcoin is a joke. Oh, maybe it's not a joke. It's actually a significant innovation. Well, if it's that significant, then the government's just not going to let it happen. And that seems to be a really major stumbling block for many people, right? They get stuck on that point. But this is sort of a testament to that. It's like, look, government did, has tried to stop Bitcoin. And what indeed happened? Well, it caused the mining to become more decentralized, right? More globally distributed as a result of one government trying to stamp down on it. And so I think um, this entire saga over the past two, two and a half years, obviously it's longer than that, but the ban, I think you said it was June, 2021. This has really demonstrated, I think, Bitcoin's anti-fragility to centralized regulation, right? You can't just there's not one hand or one uh, authoritative unilateral maneuver that can stop Bitcoin. And in fact, it actually strengthens the network in terms of its decentralization when such maneuvers are made against it. Yeah, so it, I mean, in that case, I think it became quite clear that, uh, yes, even what we saw was a disruption, I guess. Uh, not, this, not, not this said in terms of uh, transaction not being progressed or anything like that. More like... I guess, uh, a quick drop in hash rate, yep. which I guess possibly some people would relate to security, but I mean, we still were at, like, I think like still above 100 exa hashes or so. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately what we simply see is a, a relocation to other jurisdictions and yes. And yeah, it's a decentralized, I mean, it's a decentralized network and no one is in charge. There is no president of Bitcoin and, um, and ultimately. I guess, uh, yeah, again, one of, the, one of the key pillars and one of the key tenants of Bitcoin that basically it is, yeah, as you call it, pretty much um, anti-fragile. And in, in that sense, did he, I, I have not seen the data now, so I not necessarily know how it is now uh, distributed, but I would, so I would assume it's, it's fairly fair to say that, um, yeah, it, it is possibly more decentralized in terms of geographies. I think we see also now public mining companies looking into other areas. I think the U.S. becoming quite large. I don't have currently the figures, but uh, but I would expect that the U.S. share is quite significant by now. Mm -hmm. um, and but but ultimately we see also now. I think other countries we saw like I think the Middle East is gonna is get more involved mm -hmm. in this area. I think we also see South America uh, that is that that becomes more and more prominent player. In that regard, um, yeah, possibly also Africa. I saw some other things, more pilot project, but I saw some interesting projects there as well with hydropower plants um, and then helping also local communities in terms of getting them access to, in a way, uh, electricity um, and, and building a bit of infrastructure there. So quite interesting. I think, yeah, there are many, many elements and possibly one, one point to the previous environmental impact discussion. I think one of the points that is that is currently a bit not so much appreciated is that we are, I guess, still very early in terms of our understanding. Um, we, we, I think we do have a fair good understanding of the negative environmental externalities, mm -hmm. but we see now an increasing body of literature emerging that looks also uh, other positive externalities. I just read, I think a month ago, a, a, a paper from some researchers at Cornell University that looked into, for instance, uh, can, uh, when you build renewable in renewable energy infrastructure like a wind farm, a, a solar power plant or, or whatnot, you might not be able to sell it, that, it, that the project might be fully built and might be operational, but you might not be able to actually sell immediately your electricity to the grid. Mm. And there might be some sort of gap in between. 
And given the location agnostic, I guess, modular nature of Bitcoin mining, can, for instance, can there be a company or, or whatnot, a joint venture, I don't know, uh, to come in and let's say put some containers there and in a way allows those uh, power plants to already operate and sell the electricity not to the grid but directly to in a way the customer which is the big money facility. I mean there's it's, there's not just big I think there's a huge discussion about this power to X so I think this is one of the points that I, I came across a lot and I don't really have why why Bitcoin mining? Why not producing uh, green hydrogen or when we talk about oil, so it's like blue hydrogen or these sort of things? Why not use batteries and all? And I don't really want to go through that discussion, but I guess um, I don't think that Bitcoin mining is the solution to everything, um, but it might be in many cases um, a, an interesting an interesting technology that might be leveraged too, for instance, um, as an incentive, uh, as an additional incentive. Right. or soaking up some sort of energy and these sort of things. Um, it's just so, an additional buyer, right? So for any yeah. of these assets that are curtailing energy production or that need to bootstrap some capital investment to get off the ground, you just have another buyer in the market that's 24 by 7, 365. You know, not always necessarily the, the marginal buyer, right? Oftentimes the grid will pay more, but you get that energy buyer of last resort kind of dynamic and that's obviously a net benefit to all energy producers globally yeah i think it might be again i don't think it's the only solution i'm not saying it's the right solution but yeah. i'm saying it might be one additional incentive that um possibly uh, in the worst cases could be leveraged and you don't even need to i mean there, there, there are different strategies right there is um for instance if you if you obviously they need to if you, for instance, you leverage this strategy that uh, kind of Cornwall in, in their paper showed, you would not you you would not um, put S twenty one to the newest equipment uh, there because you're not most likely you're not grid connected. Then you're just like really off grid and only connected to this power plant. So you can possibly use all the devices, etc. Um, that are a lot of like less capex heavy, and uh, so. Yeah, I think yeah, it can it can act as a buyer first and last resort to to jumpstart to have generally a consumer there who might remain even after the grid connection happens. Yeah, uh, have a PPA in place, right? All these kind of things. So, uh, I, yeah, I, what I want to say in that regard is simply that also there is a reutilization of waste heat. There is like so many different topics, yeah, yeah. and I think we are uh, we are not at the stage where we have solely examined on the, all those those possible yeah. positive externalities and um, and yeah, unfortunately there are also not too many researchers in the in, yeah. in, in that regard. And I hope that this will possibly change in the future where we where we could where we at least at least I'm not saying that that Bitcoin mining overall is social net is a so is a social benefit. So I'm not saying that. Sure. Um, I mean, possibly I have a personal opinion on this, but. Uh, generally, I think from a research pr perspective, what you would need to do then in the end is a, a proper social, basically a proper cost-benefit analysis that would require also you to observe the whole spectrum and not just looking at the negative externalities, but also have a clear idea of the whole spectrum and then do these kind of things um, to really have a more, I would say, a more informed perspective on, on right. everything. No, that's a great point. You yeah, it's not just the energy buyer of last resort, also the energy buyer of first resort in the case of new projects, right? New new energy production projects. They'd actually uh you could sell energy to the Bitcoin mining network as a uh, an initial means of bootstrapping a project off the ground. That's a good qualification there. One of my highest health priorities is keeping my brain in top shape. To take care of my brain power, I do many things such as striving to read, write, exercise, and meditate daily. One of the latest tools in my brain power toolkit is MindLab Pro. MindLab Pro is a nootropic supplement that is scientifically proven to enhance your brain power. When I take MindLab Pro, my mind feels like it has a better grip on the world, my thinking is more lucid, and the articulation of my speech is much more clear. MindLab Pro has been tested in rigorous, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trials has been proven to enhance brain power for users in every age group. MindLab Pro is an advanced formulation of 11 nootropic ingredients and is backed by research from 1,473 human trials conducted over a period of 32 years. So if you're looking to start enhancing your brain power, MindLab Pro is an excellent solution. 
Go to mindlabpro.com slash breedlove to start enhancing your brain power today. Again, that's mindlabpro.com slash breedlove. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a crowdfunding platform for paying medical expenses in lieu of an insurance policy. CrowdHealth recently announced that it is integrating lightning payments with Breeze's Lightning SDK. In the United States, we spend more than twice the average amount of money on healthcare than other developed nations. Medical costs are one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in the United States, and it is not a secret that the medical system in the U.S. has many, many issues. The CrowdHealth model is based on offering an alternative to the conventional insurance policy at a cheaper price point. For a monthly membership fee of $50, CrowdHealth will negotiate medical bills to get the cheapest price possible, help locate healthcare providers, offer access to their member crowdfunding service, and more. Prior to the Breeze integration, CrowdHealth had been functioning over traditional fiat payment rails, which introduced unnecessary transaction fees and delays in settlement. By integrating Lightning payments into the CrowdHealth business model, payments between members can now be made with near zero fees and with final settlement occurring in mere seconds. So go to joincrowdhealth.com breedlove today to sign up. Um, okay, we've got just a little bit of time left here. I was hoping we could jump into the evolution of ASIC mining equipment. Uh, you described earlier how the efficiency has been improving over time, uh, leading to uh, a dynamic where the hash rate is growing more quickly than energy consumption. Could you just talk a bit about this? Like, what 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 is it that's changing about ASIC mining equipment? How is this impacting hash rate per unit of energy expended. And is this contributing to a situation where the Bitcoin mining network is becoming more energy, obviously more energy efficient, but would this make it more capital intensive and less energy intensive over time? Um, and how do you, how do you view that? Is that a net positive or, or how do you view that dynamic? Uh, yeah, sure. It's happy to see some, some words on this. Um, so I think well, what I can say is possibly it becomes uh, a lot more in terms of so the mining equipment itself, the hardware becomes a lot more efficient. So we see, for instance, um, I mean, if we go back to, I think the first ASICs, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if, if this is, a, but there was butterfly labs at the beginning or very early days, which didn't work out too well. Um, so there were early ASIC manufacturers, but I think if we think uh, to the first ASICs that have, that. I guess where they actually delivered and uh, were becoming a bit more prominent. Um, they were they had about we we you look at this at joules per tera hash. Um, so basically the the number of joules per unit of computing power. And um, we saw there are two for instance an end miner S one I think was like two thousand joules per tera hash. And if we look at to the if we look at ha even halfway, um, what what did we have in two thousand? What was it like two thousand nineteen? We had the, I guess, 2019, 2020, 2020, we had the, basically S9, S19 was coming there. And, and there we had uh, suddenly like 30 joules per terahash. So you could see that in the enormous, the enormous, and we show this on our website as well. So this, in our last update, we show now this kind of efficiency estimates over time right. um, as well, according to our model. And there, I think we had an average efficiency of, I think about in, in 2016 or, or what it was. Um, I think it was it was 2016. Give me give me one second to look at <laughs> one sentence. Where, um, but then I think it really shows, basically. Uh, yeah, here here we go. Here we go. Um, was 2000. Yeah. So now overall, I, I think we saw a huge huge uh, increase in in efficiency over time. And uh, I would not say necessarily. So we also saw an increase in electricity consumption. But what we saw is that there was this, not as you said, this kind of one-to-one -one relationship between an increase in electricity consumption, increase in hash rate, where really we saw that hash rate was increasing a lot faster than um, than electricity consumption. And now I, I now actually I found my figures. Uh, so basically, since 2016, in terms of hash rate, we saw about uh, 200 times increase in hash rate from basically end of 2016 to now. And the electricity consumption about 20x, uh, less than 20x wow. even okay. increase. Yeah. So you really can 10x network security gain. Um, I'm sorry, you said, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what were the numbers again? 
Yeah, so I think you have kind of, um, if you call network security per unit of electricity spent, then kind of the 10x, I guess. Okay, that's uh, what it is. All right. right. Yeah, yeah. So you have uh, 10x more security per energy spend post than you were pre. Yeah, if you want, if you want to, to say yeah. it like that. But basically what we saw is about 200 times increase in, in hash rate since right. 2000s, end of 2016. And, um, and yeah, about, 20x increase in, in electricity consumption. And this is yeah, so this basically is driven by this technological advancements right. uh, where we see a simply hard ASIC hardware. I mean, now now it becomes a thing more interesting uh, because simply we are, we are already as now the models are based on like five nanometer chips. Um, I mean, there's obviously smaller chips, but the question now becomes a bit to, uh, yeah, I think already in a US company, the, their mine I think uses four nanometers um if I, I i at one point there was a statement so i hope your listeners forgive me if i mm-hmm. if i got this wrong um but but now i think we uh, it, it becomes the question of what what can be the additional uh, increases going forward i do think there will be additional efficiency increases mm-hmm. but um but yeah it might have become more competitive than on the other side so the question is uh, do we see and i just I think today i i got an, an article modification about uh Darwinism in the mining industry, mm-hmm. uh, where we will see, particularly after the halving, like, I, it becomes, I guess, more tougher and tougher. And we also see that if you break down um, the revenue per unit of computing power, um, over time, this, inc- this decreases as well. So I think it becomes increasingly more competitive. And we will see, I guess, how hash rate is is also going going to evolve, I guess, um, in the future. And yeah, but these are all things I can just speculate. So I can't say too much to that. Uh, besides, yeah, we saw a significant increase simply over the last years in, in a hardware efficiency, which in a way led to uh, electricity consumption still being still increasing, but uh, not on a, on a one-to-one level. So actually quite in a different scale. And you would expect that to continue, maybe not to the same extent? Well, I, I most likely would expect that electricity consumption to continue to increase, hash rate to increase. Um, what possibly what we'll see some, I guess, more powerful models uh, going forward. We see, I mean, it, it's it's actually really interesting. Um, if you look into how the computing power of different models have, have changed, when we still think back to uh, the, I think one of the most prominent equipment in, in 2016 to, to 17, which was the Antminer S9, about like 10, 10, 10, 11, 12 terahashes. And now you see these models with like three, 400. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure about 400, but no. two, two, 300. Particularly now that we start uh, with the liquid cooled, immersion cooled. Um, uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I think there is a lot, a lot of a lot of interesting developments. Ultimately, I think, um, yeah, it will, I, I would expect and still kind of a gradual increase in electricity, but I think that, the, the magnitudes this year actually I think we saw about twenty percent less than twenty percent increase in electricity according to our model, but about nearly nearly a hundred percent increase in hash rate. This year we saw enormous increases in in hash rates uh, compared to the the last three years. And uh, yeah, the, you know, the question is how I would expect that this is still uh, this is still to continue, but at some point possibly I mean electricity consumption globally is rising, so possibly at some point the uh, Kind of increasing consumption of, of Bitcoin mining would match at possibly at some point the general increase in, in consumption, and maybe it goes even down at some point, depending on on the environment. If it becomes more more challenging for miners, less challenging, I guess this we will see what what happens in the future. Fascinating stuff. Um, okay, Alexander, I have kept you long enough. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on this very um, confused and controversial area. <laughs> of Bitcoin mining, especially as it relates to the climate. Um, if you have any closing thoughts on just kind of Bitcoin's general environmental impact, please feel free to share them. Uh, otherwise, if you could please let my audience know where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't have too many closing thoughts. What I can say is that we are always keen to receive feedback um, from the industry, from all stakeholders. We are as as researchers, we are always reliant and our models are really reliant on the data we have. So particularly uh, what we what we are trying to do is uh, possibly increase the amount of partnerships, collaborations with mining pools specifically, because that's one of our key underlying data. But we are also keen to hear 
from other mining companies, other industry stakeholders, uh, if they have any any data, any ideas of, of how ultimately uh, we can improve because our aim is always to, as said, I think at the beginning at some point, to, to provide the most uh, reliable estimates possible. Um, where people can find me, I am on, on LinkedIn, Alexander Neumüller. Uh, you can find me there. You can find me also on, on X. Uh, I managed at some point to get there as well. Um, I think I look like some some fake profile because I don't, <laughs> I don't use it too often. Um, it's I think it's, uh, um, what is my X? I think it's Alex underscore Neumüller. And I'm not quite sure. We can um, link to it in the show notes, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know my Twitter handle actually. It's pretty sad, but uh, I, I maybe I need to use it more often. <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, it is. It is. No, it is Alex Neumüller. Uh, yeah, um, I, I don't pronounce it now. I don't want to spend any more of your of your listeners' time. But yeah, thanks also for my end for having me for talking a bit about our research, generally the environment. I'm I'm always happy to uh, to kind of have discussions in that regard because uh, I, I'm always learning something. So thank you very much for having me. Yes. Thank you for coming on and uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Ben. Have a great day. Bye.